Welcome to Hill Country Institute Live, Exploring Christ and Culture. This is Larry Lennon-Schmidt, your host, and we're glad you're with us this week as we seek to equip and encourage Christ followers to live abundantly and engage the culture and people we meet with the heart and mind of Christ. We invite you to visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, for video and audio recordings from our past conferences and previous radio programs, and to visit iTunes to hear our radio interviews under Hill Country Institute Live. And if you want to support this program and also the conferences and other events we present in our region, please donate through the website, hillcountryinstitute.org. If everyone listening gave just $5, it would support the program for a year. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. The topic of our program today is how to love our neighbors with the heart and mind of Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian today in a post-Christian culture when the fastest-growing demographic is nuns, no religious affiliation, and the people you meet may have negative images of Christianity without really having a clear understanding of what it means to us who follow Christ. How can we overcome whatever resistance there may be to hearing about our faith? The topic, Loving Your Neighbor with the Heart and Mind of Christ, will be the focus of a retreat we are co-sponsoring with Camp Allen on Friday, December 4th through Sunday, December 6th. Camp Allen is one of the most beautiful settings for a Christian camp in Texas, with over 1,000 acres of rolling hills, East Texas Piney Woods and Lakes. The rooms are comfortable, private, and the food is well known for being delicious and filling. The fireplace is ideal for a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and a meaningful conversation. And if you aren't out on the trails or lakes, there's a well-equipped, large indoor workout room. We'll be led in interactive sessions by Rob Overholt and Melissa Fisher, who are on staff at Gateway Church in Austin. Gateway is known for the way they reach out and welcome people into their community, just as they are. Both Rob and Melissa have personal stories which will encourage you as you meet and talk with people who are there to share the experience. They also have extensive experience in taking the gospel outside the church, building partnerships on areas of common interest with non-Christian groups, and being hospitable, good neighbors. Bree Walker Chopay will lead us in participatory drama where we act at the gospel stories in groups to deepen our involvement with an understanding of Scripture. We will continue our tradition of line dancing on Saturday night, led once again by Susan Queering, an exceptional dance teacher from College Station. For additional information on the Love Your Neighbor with the Heart and Mind of Christ retreat, please visit hillcountryinstitute.org or call 512-680-7993. That's 512-680-7993. Our featured guest today is Rob Overholt. Rob is on staff at Gateway Church. He's been a church planner, and I might add a successful church planner, founder of nonprofits. He's a speaker and a consultant to church and business leaders on strategy and coping with change. He's the author of The Keys of Change, Create and Orchestrate Your Future. When he speaks, his guitar is a part of the presentation. Perhaps I should say playing his guitar is part of the presentation. And music metaphors are an eliminating and active part of any conversation with Rob. Rob will be a speaker and facilitator at the Love Your Neighbor Retreat, and we hope that you'll be there. Rob Overholt, welcome to Hill Country Institute Live. Larry, thanks so much for having me. This is is an unspeakable pleasure. Oh, it's great to have you here, man. Yeah. You know, we've been getting to know Rob, uh, Melanie Devereaux, and uh, our director of operations, and Judith Hines, our chairman, and uh, Rob's got that got that feel of somebody that that likes to start things, build them up, and, and, and that excitement on the front end. But uh, going back to the beginning, Rob, tell, what was it like? What was faith like in your 
in your home environment? Uh, coming up yeah, as a child? Yeah. Well, it was, uh, I was... I was brought up, I was taken to church, and I say taken very strategically there. Uh, there's a difference between being taken to church and going. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and I, my mother was, uh, was a believer. Uh, she was a bit emotional believer, and my father was, uh, was a man who was a deacon in the church uh, when, in my youth. Uh, and, but there was some situations at home there. There was some abuse and some things there that mm-hmm. obviously didn't sit well, and so to me, Christianity was a lot like a lot of other religions. It was just that religion, and it didn't seem to fit into the scope of my life and my existence. I I grew up around church. I figured out at some point when I was a teenager that, you know, it was a great social mechanism. There were a lot of cute girls that were a little bit naive, but, uh, but they, you know. But that was an attraction. Right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, but that was about the end of that. There was really no, no uh, you know, I, I kind of always had this feeling in my life that I, I thought life was about something bigger. And I wanted, I felt like, you know, this life should mean something. I just didn't know what it did mean, and I didn't know who could help me find that. So no connection at all in terms of uh, just church church going, attending, yeah. but that's about it. It didn't really develop into a personal Yeah, nothing personal at there. all. Yeah. In fact, I made fun of the kids a lot who it did. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, then uh, when, you were, when you were a little bit older, you've got a story in your book about being on an outing and and there was this girl, and and this other guy was interested in the girl. I don't, what what happened? Oh, that's uh, how, I, how. Yeah, so there's uh, yeah, great little fun story. I'm in a theme park with a group of my friends. We're heading in, and there's a girl in the group that I'm. Uh, I sort of secretly fancy. Uh, I was quite smitten with her, and on that day, I was secretly hoping to make my affections known to her. And all the girls in the crew immediately head off to the restroom, which I know, ladies, is very cliche, but you know it's true. That's how that works. <laughs> uh, they all head into the restrooms, and some of the guys and I are just kind of milling around waiting for the girls to reappear. And one of my buddies named Bobby uh, said, hey, uh, think about going for it today with, and then says the name of the girl that I'm interested in. And in one of those classic extrovert you know, speak before you think kind of moments. I just blurt out, no, that's not going to be okay. And found myself in one of those odd moments where it's like, oh, I got to explain my way back through this. And he let on, oh, is something going on between the two of you? And I thought that was a brilliant strategy. So I just went with that story. I said, yeah, 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 we're together. And uh, so you're a little late to the party, so back off. And then, of course, uh, of course, right about this time, the girls are coming out of the restroom and I'm in a little bit of a fix. I've dug myself a bit of a hole, realizing I'm about to be the butt of many jokes because I've kind of conjured up this story or allowed it to be conjured up that I'm with her. I just sort of confronted her with, hey, funny thing just happened. Bobby said he was thinking about making a play for you today. And she was very much like, uh, okay, why are you telling me this? And I said, well, I, I may have allowed him to believe that there was something going on between the two of us. And she quite succinctly asked, well, why, why would you do that? And uh, I said, well, that's kind of the way I was hoping it could be. And I grabbed her by the hand. I started walking. And uh, I, I write about in the book that that was an incredible moment of vulnerability for me that uh, was very telling. I remembered it could have gone either way. I, I fully realized that she could pull her hand away or let go or, or she could hold on. Uh, much to my, uh, my good pleasure and good fortune in my life, she held on. She's still holding on. Uh, we've now been married. Uh, it'll be 23 years this February, 
So that's uh, that's something uh, that's fun. It was a fun start to the story. But I, I, one of the things I tell readers and I tell people when I travel with my talks is that even if she had not, uh, if it had not gone in my favor, she had pulled her hand away. I still don't regret doing what I did. In fact, stepping into the moment is what I mean, not necessarily conjuring up a lie. <laughs> yeah, sure. but, but, but stepping into that moment and just taking ownership of the moment and saying, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to make my affection known here. I want to do this thing, and I, and I want you to know that this is what I want. Uh, because, honestly, even if she had pulled her hand away, even if she had walked, you know, walked away from me mm-hmm. said, what are you doing? I'd have been the butt of a few jokes, but the truth is I know all these years later that everyone would have admired my courage. And that's kind of one of the principles I like to tell people to stand on. So I call that risk like a love song. That's so, great. Yeah, yeah. So we'll come back to the love songs, but, but taking risk is a huge part of what you encourage people to do, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And all that, 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 that material really is really inspired by Jesus, which who talked very candidly in the parable of the talents is kind of where I've lifted that portion of my material, honestly, I, I, I lift everything from Jesus. And uh, so, yeah. Plagiarism allowed, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, you know, the three, obviously, if you know the parable of the talents, you know well then that there were three servants given an allotment of, of the master's estate, kind of based on their aptitude and ability. And two of them go to work with it immediately and risk well and put it into action and are able to double mm-hmm. what is entrusted to them. The third is a play it safe who basically is in fear that the master will he'll lose the master's goods he'll he'll lose what's been entrusted to him that something will go awry and go wrong and he doesn't want to be responsible for that so he buries it which in the custom of the day would have meant he was trying to keep it safe from thieves and robbers uh, but in playing it safe he actually makes the worst possible move so when the master returns of course Jesus tells us that he he commends and celebrates the first two and and says well done well done and then to the third uh and really in what amounts to not much mincing of words he says quite frankly um you wicked and lazy servant and then asks them to be cast away where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth which sounds really bad yeah. yeah and we learn a lot i think about not only christ but christ calling into our life and what god would like us to do which is to take this life that does matter and to risk well and to do things that are significant in the name of Jesus to, to make the world a, a great place. And those of us who play it safe in the name of fear, I don't, I don't see it ending well there. I don't yeah. see the end of those stories ending well. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you took risk in your, in your personal life. And in this case, it worked out. It's been a it's been a, a, a lasting relationship. But you're you're a risk taker for the kingdom too, because you've been a church planner. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, desperation and necessity is the mother of all invention, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, uh, church planning has been a, a big part of my past. We've been a part of three church plants, two from the ground up. Uh, we've everywhere from Virginia to North Carolina, Las Vegas, and it's been a such an amazing experience to to go all in on a kingdom endeavor like that. It's some of the great experiences in my life, and I've learned so much about how to engage the culture. When you're planting a church, you really can't afford to rest on the laurels that mm-hmm. a a long-standing church often can find themselves resting on. You ha- you have to you have to think community engagement and impact. It's it's a must for survival, uh, or else you're just going to be basically robbing the other churches of people that are already there, which is not really the point of planting a church. 
Uh, planting a church is all about expanding the kingdom, not mm-hmm. stealing from those already in it. Well, you know, I, I haven't known Rob a long time, but in getting to know him, one of the things that, that stands out is this energy to do something creative. And so so what? So once a church has started, you like to just stay there and, and, and enjoy the laurels of that success and just kind of manage it, don't you? Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. uh, I like your sarcasm. It's my spiritual <laughs> gift, too. <laughs> it's, uh, no, that's not me. I, I, I always assume, you know, uh, that someone's much more highly adept and capable of, of managing it and running it from there on out. Uh, I, I love the phase that everyone else seems to hate, which is I like getting in and tilling the ground and, and trying to get the energy and the momentum going and and watching it come together. I like building the strategy and kind of, if you will, um, setting the DNA into a culture. Um, and that part is the part that fascinates me the most. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I, I'm really grateful that a good portion of our scriptures in the New Testament were written by uh, the Apostle Paul, who had that same type of uh, mentality, which was to uh, get in, get it going, and then go back and report in on on the work. So uh, it's sure. encouraging. Well, if you're if you're listening and you're a church planner or you're part of a church planning team, uh, we really want to encourage you because uh, I think that that's a uh, an exciting, exhilarating, risky, scary, uh, blessed part of of kingdom life. So. Rob, you know, my hat's off to you. I, I really, and, and anybody else that's listening, if you know a church planner, you know, buy them a cup of coffee. Tell them, tell them they're doing good work, you know, and bless bless it because uh, that's really, the, the, to me, the cutting edge of the kingdom. Yeah, that's for sure. And church planning can be very isolating uh, for the planter and for the planter's family if they're not careful. It's, it's great for them to be networked with believers who believe in the planting of churches. That's very important. So, yeah, thanks for that. On behalf of all church planters everywhere, thank you for that. Amen, brother. Well, um, in your in your book, uh, and, and Rob's the author, as I mentioned earlier, of The Keys of Change, Create and Orchestrate Your Future. And uh, it's got a picture of him with his guitar on it and a guitar on the front. So so music's going to come into our conversation more. But one one thing that's interesting, I mean, you're you know, you you're clearly following the Lord. You're you're part of the body of Christ. But I can't find a single Christian word in this book, you know. And 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 you're out there speaking about it and talking to people about it. So how do you how do you bring a Christian message without using Christian words? Well, really, that was for me. That was modeled by again by the Apostle Paul on on Mars Hill in Acts 17, where he goes to some of the greatest thought leaders of his day, and uh, really Greco-Roman thought is still to this day some of the great thought leadership of, of known human history. And he gets an opportunity to go and stand with these great thought leaders and probably uncomfortable for a lot of Christians, but yet still true as it's recorded in the scriptures. He's very, he's very tactical and very strategic about he, how about he talks about the message that has changed his life, the gospel. Uh, we see in Paul no shame uh, no, no fear of or, or being ashamed of the gospel whatsoever, but knowing his situation and knowing his audience there. And there are several things that happen in that experience that, to me, have been kind of life-changing for me and, and really informed a lot about how I go about my business, uh, so to speak, which is mm-hmm. Paul stands there and he commends—we've uh, uh, we talked about this at lunch—but he commends them for their, for their religiosity or whatever, however you want to say that. He commends them for the things that they've done to seek God. He does not see that as a divider, like, oh, you've got that wrong. He commends them for, for, for understanding and the realization that something 
greater is going on. So he seeks to find a place where they have commonality. And uh, I heard it said once, I got to be a part of a panel years ago at um, Sundance Film Festival, and there was sort of this spiritual panel mm-hmm. to talk about the films, and I don't know why I got invited, but I did. And one, uh, there was a guy there from Harvard, and he, he was a professor, so he's way smarter than you and I combined, Larry. <laughs> and so, Well, he, you'd kind of have the, the weight on that scale anyway. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you told you, but yeah, even you can't help me there. <laughs> so, um, But uh, he, he said, you know, this kind of idea on Acts 17 that we, we agree, we believe in what you've seen in part, but we bring the fullness of what you've seen. Mm-hmm. And I love that, if you think about it, to, to realize that what Paul's saying, you've seen a portion of the gospel in part. What I want to do is introduce you to the fullness of it. But even in doing so, one of the things he does on Mars Hill is he quotes their poets. And I always ask people this basic question, how well do you have to know something to quote it? Uh, you have to know it pretty well. You have to have studied it. So in Paul, we see no talk or no st- no position of, oh, I don't listen to secular poetry or anything like that. Secular music. Yeah, secular, yeah. You know, so I yeah. insert secular music. I don't engage with that. He didn't see the line. He didn't draw such harsh lines, in my opinion, of that secular and sacred. He saw that even in what would be secular, there was a sacred component because all people were being drawn to their creator at some level. And so in doing so, he quotes their poets. He doesn't pull out something saying, oh, I was, I was reading a poet, and I, w- I want to read from him. He's quoting them. Uh, so he knows them full well, and he knows how to use, uh, use the art of the day to communicate, this is your longing for what is essentially the gospel. But even then in doing so, uh, an interesting part for me, Larry, is that he never actually mentions the name of Jesus. He talks fully about, I know the Creator, yeah. I know him by name, but we see him leave it at that, leaving them hungry for more. And it says, you know, that some snickered at him. It says a couple had another conversation and were led to believe. Uh, and But most importantly to me is that the thought leaders invited him back. Yeah. They said, we'd like to hear more from you on this. And some, Something got their attention. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of thinking is exactly what this book is about for me, which is, I'm I'm finding agreement in what we've all we've all experienced. So one is change, and I opened the book with some of the you know some of the things that came into the path of my family back in 2012. Some change that was unforeseen and completely unwelcomed. But we've all experienced it in our lives. We've all had situations in our lives where things got came in out of left field. We didn't see them coming. You know, as as much as we try to prognosticate and and plan and. And for the future and retirement and all these things, there's just things that happen in life that we don't see coming. And everyone can relate to that. And so what I do with the book and with some of the things I talk about is I try to instill the principles that I've all, and I'll say right here boldly, I've learned them all from Jesus, and I've instilled the principles in to help people. Uh, And honestly, my hope is that they'll say, I'd like to hear more about that. Like, is there... Like, I'd like to have you back. I'd like to hear more about that. And my opportunity then is to introduce them to a deeper to a deeper message. And so like, that's where, the thing. Where did you get this exactly. way of coming at this? And, yeah, and, I, yeah. and I've had that conversation. You know, where did you get these insights? And mm-hmm. I'll just, you know, rather coyly, do you really want to know? And yeah, mm-hmm. and I, 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 I lifted them all from Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, looking, looking at Jesus, he was invited to dinner regularly by people that weren't his followers. Mm-hmm. There must have been something intriguing about the way he related to people. Yeah, for sure, Larry. And you know a little bit about my story, so you know that 
one of the things I remember being so intrigued and still at a moment, still at a moment in my life when I had not yet crossed the line of faith and I had not made a focused commitment to Jesus, I was reading through the Gospels and I remember being blown away by several accounts of, of not only Jesus's life, but mm-hmm. how he engaged culture. But I remember being awestruck, in fact, by the fact that when he came around what were called the tax collectors and the sinners and these you know, the nefarious types that religious folks don't tend to hang out with, mm-hmm. or, and certainly didn't in his day, and honestly in our day, I don't think that's changed a lot. Um, but yet Jesus came around them, and the thing that I noticed that was really quite sobering for me was that uh, they they seemed to like his company, and he seemed to enjoy being with them too, and yet there was never any shyness about who he who he was and what he could do, the power that he had to help them overcome sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, definitely something in his manner that was very appealing. Yeah, and then and then Paul on Mars Hill, you know, I see that you worship an unknown God. I mean, Absolutely. He, he really did relate to them in their own language, in their own times. Right. And then Francis Schaeffer's called us to, you know, compete in the free marketplace of ideas. And, 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 and Lewis expressed things so well. So, I mean, there's just a whole history of people, and now we have to figure out how we do that to the person across the cubicle from us. Or Absolutely. And I you know, I advocate totally the, the greatest thinkers of our day should be Christians. We should not be intimidated by anything. We, we uh, Jesus said, uh, I am the way, I am the truth. He did not say, I am a truth. He said, I am the truth. And mm-hmm. and my, my uh, I guess, one of the mantras, one of the many mantras I, I live by is that truth is never intimidated by a lie. Yeah. If something is true, it's, it can withstand any, anything that's not true. Uh, and so I don't, I don't want to, as a believer, live in the fear that someone could, that could, could bring an assault on, on the Christian faith or on Jesus himself that he couldn't withstand. I believe that he could totally withstand. He is truth. And so when they find truth, even if it's in portion, they're on to something that if we can have an intelligent conversation, the fullness of that truth will always end up being Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, C.S. Lewis wrote about an element of truth in ancient ways of seeing, like the dying and rising corn god was a foretelling or a way of seeing something that wasn't complete, but it had an element of truth in it, didn't it? Mm, yeah. And. And I think, you know, we see that all over cultures everywhere. It's like there's always an element of that truth. And if we can, you know, and, and I think we know this, like we're, we're talking about loving our neighbors here. I, instinctively, we seem to know this full well when we step into another culture. So if we all went on a trip together, if, 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 if as a group, we all decided to go on a trip, a group of Christians here, and we went to Africa or Asia or any place, we would never dream of stepping into their culture and insulting their culture to say, oh, you... you Culturally, you live all wrong. You know, you you do this all wrong, uh, and we would. But instead, we'd find the commonality. We'd find the ground, and we would we would we would do diligence to say there there are places in your culture where you know something's true. Here's commonality, and we'd like to bring you an expansive view of that truth. But yet, somehow in America, I, th- I feel like we've lost a bit of that edge to say to do the same thing to apply the same pattern to living a life missionally here in the States. And I don't know if that's because we, we feel like something's been taken from us. I, you know, I've got a lot of thoughts on that, but that's probably mm-hmm. not the point of this conversation. <laughs> but, uh, but another conversation. Yeah, yeah. another conversation. This is an ongoing. Yeah, on another time. day. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, if we applied that same metrics, if we applied that same kind of rubric 
to the idea that what if we just looked into our culture and said, what are the longings? Mm -hmm. What are the things that are so evident and so clear that people have discovered a a piece of truth, a piece of the truth, Mm -hmm. that the fullness of that truth is the culmination of of the person of Christ? Uh, Where can we find commonality and build on that and help introduce that in full? Because the questions people ask tend to come from the same place. You know, why Absolutely. am I here? What what makes life have meaning? Right. And, We're all and, looking for the same thing. You know. Yeah. Just yeah. Every rock. You know. Every pop song. Every rock song. Every every piece of literature. We're all. You know. We're looking for the same things. Yeah. Well, we Rob, we need to we need to move towards a break now. If you're listening, this is Hill Country Institute Live. We invite you to stay around. The break won't last long, and, and we will be right back. We also encourage you to consider attending the retreat that we're putting on with Camp Allen. The whole topic is about loving your neighbor with the heart and mind of Christ. And Rob Overholt and Melissa Fisher from Gateway Church will be our guest speakers. Camp Allen is a beautiful setting, rolling hills, pine trees, uh, lakes, uh, and the food is great. And There's a fireplace where you can sit and drink wine and have coffee and talk to your friends, new friends, old friends, and, and new friends that you'll be meeting. So we do hope you'll join us for the retreat, and we also invite you to visit our website where you can find more information about the retreat. And at the website, hillcountryinstitute.org, you can listen to podcasts of other interviews, presentations from conferences on faith and art, faith and science, and the work of C.S. Lewis and other topics. And also on iTunes, you can listen to Hill Country Institute Live, the podcast of this show. We welcome your support. It funds the payments to the radio station, which hosts our program. Thank you for being with us, and we'll be right back. <music> 